Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Radio Omnigot podcast. My name is Simon Ager and today I am talking about words, what they are, where they come from and how can they change over time. Now this is based loosely on the talk I gave at the Polyglot Gathering in Bratislava, Slovakia a few years ago. That talk was entitled Deconstructing Language and you can find a video and slides I used for that talk at a new page I created yesterday on Omnigot at omnigot.com slash presentations. You can find other talks I've given, the videos and slides from other talks I've given at other polyglot events and language-related events as well. So in this episode, I'm talking about words in a slightly more playful and made-up way compared with other episodes. What is a word? Let me use some words to talk about what words are. Words are words. When you speak, you shape your words using your lips, your teeth, your tongue, your throat, maybe your nose as well. If you're signing, you use your hands and maybe your face to add extra meaning to what you're doing. When you're writing or typing your words, come out in a different form. But for most of our history, as people, our words have purely been spoken, just puffs of air. So where did they come from? Well, nobody knows, really. But let's go back to a land far, far away, a long, long time ago, probably somewhere in Africa, where our ancestors first started to speak. And what words did they use back then? And where did their words come from? Well, we don't know. Unless we manage to build a time machine and go back, we'll never know for sure. We can only guess. So maybe they imitated the things around them, the birds and beasts and other creatures they heard around them, the sounds of nature. They found words everywhere, in the air, in the trees, in the rivers, in the lakes, and they hunted and gathered them like they hunted and gathered their food. And some other words would have come from the babbling of babies. And babies find certain sounds easier to babble than others. So often their first words are things like Baba and Mama and Papa, and so on. So once people had hunted and gathered these words, what did they do with them? Well, they probably put them together in all sorts of different combinations to talk about anything and everything and nothing at all. To tell stories and sing songs and share information and talk about the past and the present and the future and thoughts and desires and dreams and all sorts of things. And patterns started to emerge. Some words liked to be together and started to resemble each other or behave in similar ways, other words behaved in other ways. This is how grammar may have developed. And as words came together, sometimes they combined to form new words. Maybe bits got knocked off, and they got attached to the endings of words, or the beginnings, or the middles, and they became grammatical particles. And when people needed new words, maybe they'd moved somewhere different, and they found things that they needed new words for animals and plants and features of the landscape and all sorts of things. 
And when people need new words, they can either adapt the ones they already have, give them new meanings, combine them in different ways, describe what they're seeing, or they can borrow words. If there are people already in these places who have names for these things, they can borrow those words and maybe adapt them to their own pronunciation. And when we want to talk about abstract ideas and things, things you cannot sense, then we take words for concrete things we can sense and transfer their meaning to create metaphors. And language is full of those things. For example, if you're inspired, you're literally breathing in. It comes from the Latin inspirare, to breathe in. And when you talk about time flowing, that concept comes from water flowing, probably. And we don't know what time is or whether it flows, but maybe it helps us to think about it if we think it's like a river. It probably isn't, but who knows. So for much of our history, as I said, we had words, but we didn't write them down. They weren't tied down to paper or other surfaces. They were wild and and free, and they could change, and they did change all the time. And when people moved to different places, they found new words and created new words. And some of them may have pronounced things in slightly different ways. And with every generation, words will change as well. And then, about five and a half thousand years ago or so, in the land between the two rivers, or Mesopotamia if you prefer, what is modern-day Iraq, people started farming and settling in larger communities, in villages and towns and cities, and they developed ways to record their words in writing, at first in clay tablets, and many of these survive to this day. And we have worked out how to decipher them so we can actually make their words speak again. They're not lost. Before then, before people wrote things down, we have no idea what they sounded like. We can guess. We can reconstruct ancient languages by comparing ones we we know that are still spoken or were spoken in the past that we have records for. And we can get some idea of how ancient languages might have sounded. But we don't know for sure. So, this was in the land between the two rivers, Mesopotamia. People were pressing their words into clay. And at about the same time, in the valley of the the Nile in Egypt, people found ways to record their words using pictures, mainly. And they did this by carving them in stone, or writing them on woven papyrus sheets. And we know, more or less, what these words sounded like although as they didn't represent vowels in their writing, we can't be absolutely sure. And later on, in other places, people developed other ways to record their words, in China and Central America and India, and these forms of writing spread and were adapted and now are used all over the world. And when words are written down, in some ways they stop changing so much, they are trapped not as wild as they once were. There are still wild words about. In many languages that are rarely or never written, words are still free to change and do what they like without the constraint of writing. And even in written languages, there are many words that are used 
that are rarely if ever written in slang and informal language and in onomatopoeia, imitations of sounds and such like. These words are still wild and changing and have no fixed form, at least in the written form. And each person who writes them, if they do write them, will do do it in their own way. And over time, some of them might become part of the written language and standardized. But many of them will remain in their wild forms, free to change and adapt as necessary. And where do we get our words from these days? Well, many of them are mass-produced in factories. Some are made in small workshops. Some just a lone inventor tinkering away in their garden shed, perhaps. Others are found in the wild, and gathered and hunted, and mined and quarried, and fished. Some words come from the names of people, or places, or things, or products. They are known as eponyms. And some words are minced oaths. That is, words used to substitute for curses and swear words. For example, saying sugar or fiddlesticks as an exclamation instead of something a bit stronger. And in ancient times, people believed that saying the names, the true names of dangerous beasts, such as bears and wolves, might bring bad luck. So they gave them different names. In Russian, people call the bear the honey-eater, medvied. In Irish, a wolf is a son of the land, maktira. And the English word bear comes from a proto-Indo-European root, meaning large, scary, wild animal. And now it's time for a bit of music, I think. As today is the 1st of March, St David's Day, the National Day of Wales, I thought I'd play a little Welsh tune on the harp. This is Adele Newith, The New Harp. or the new harp, a traditional Welsh folk tune played by me on my harp to celebrate St David's Day, which is today, the 1st of March. Happy St David's Day, if it's something you celebrate. Now, there's another kind of word known as a nonce word, that is, created for the nonce or the time being, and not expected to be reused or generalised. These are also known as occasionalisms, neologisms, buzzwords, mount weasels, nonsense words, or pseudo-words. Some examples include quark, which is coined by James Bjorn Joyce and used in his novel Finnegan's Wake, and later adopted by Murray Gelman to name a kind of subatomic particle. And then there's the word wug, 
which refers to a imaginary beast, looks like a blue kind of bird-like creature, which was created along with various other imaginary beasts for use in linguistic tests, testing language impairment and such like. These were created by Jean Burke Gleason, a psycholinguist at Boston University. And then there's the word grok, which many computer programmers and IT types might be familiar with, and they might use it to mean to understand something intuitively, to fully comprehend and completely understand something in all of its details and intricacies. It was originally coined by Robert Heinlein and used in his novel Stranger in a Strange Land in 1961, where it meant to drink, or to drink in all available aspects of reality, to become one with the observed. And there are plenty of other words that have been coined in this way. Another favourite is Sniglet, which was coined by the American comedian Rich Hall for the 1980s TV series Not Necessarily the News, and is defined as any word that doesn't appear in the dictionary, but should. And I myself have coined a number of words, including omniglot, which comes from the Latin omnis, meaning all or every, and the Greek glossa, meaning tongue or language. So omniglot means all languages, all tongues, every tongue, every language. I deliberately mix the Latin and Greek roots rather than going for one or the other. If it was all Latin roots, it would be omnilingua, omnilingual, or something like that. If it was all Greek, it would be panglot, or panglossic, panglossa, or something like that. But I like the, the mixture of the two languages. I first, certainly wasn't the first person to come up with this word, but I certainly made the word omniglot popular. There was a novel published in 1989 called The Intergalactic Omniglot by Jenny Fleetwood. I haven't read it, I don't know if any of you have, but it might be quite interesting. And made-up words quite often make their way into the songs I write. For example, one I wrote recently about bubbles includes words like bibble and dibble and nabble and nubble and pibble and pabble and wobble and wobble. <laughs> I just like that combination of sounds, so I made up some new words featuring it. Well, I think that's enough words about words for now. I hope you found this interesting. And if you would like to leave any words about this or any other episode of this podcast, make your way to radio.omnigot.com. You can leave your comments. You can leave suggestions for topics to discuss in future episodes. And um, you can find this podcast on various other platforms, on SoundCloud and Podchaser and... um, I don't know where else. It pops up all, all, all over the place. And if you're feeling very generous, you can find links to leave donations to help support my work on this podcast and on the Omniglot.com website, the Omniglot blog, and my Celtic, Celtic Languages blog as well. Or you can make contributions in other ways. You can help me improve Omniglot. If you spot any broken links or typos or information you think could be improved or changed then just let me know you can contact me my name is Simon Ager my email is feedback at omniglot.com so that's all the words I have for you today I hope you found this interesting and informative please share it with your friends like it and subscribe or whatever if that's possible and um, thank you for listening and goodbye